Megan. That was beautiful. Well, if you haven't been blessed so far, I'm not sure we've been in the same building. <laughs> what, a, what an encouragement this two days has been. I feel like I've been in the middle of a bunch of kindred spirits. Anybody else love Anne of Green Gables like me? <laughs> I grew up on Anne of Green Gables, so it's kindred spirits um, and new friends. And I'm so thankful, um, Melanie, for the opportunity, um, for all the hard work and planning that you put into this all year to allow us to just show up and enjoy it. Um, I've been sharing with you a bit of my life. I could teach just from God's word and not from my personal experience, but I've found that I can reach more people if I'm vulnerable. So even though it takes a whole other level of emotional vulnerability, I'm hoping that me showing you my heart allows you to um, learn a little bit more about what God has for you. So today's topic, in closing, is unfaithful, God is my truth. We're going to learn some lessons from the life of Joseph. So if you want to turn to Genesis 37, just so you're there, you're welcome to. I'm going to. Have you ever faced betrayal? Betrayal defined is the breaking or violation of a presumptive contract, trust, or confidence that produces moral and psychological conflict within a relationship amongst individuals, between organizations, or between individuals and organizations. That was a big definition, but if you're like me, you, you knew what betrayal means before I said it. Studies show that one in four women have faced sexual abuse as a child. One in three women have experienced some form of physical violence by a partner. Approximately 40 to 50% of first marriages end in divorce. And the divorce rate for second marriages is even higher, with approximately 60 to 70% of second marriages ending in divorce. And the leading cause of divorce? Betrayal. So in a room this size, I can guarantee that most of us have experienced some level of betrayal at some point in our lives. We've been deeply, irrevocably injured at the hands of someone who claimed to love us. A parent, a spouse, a friend, a co-worker, a spiritual leader, and I'm going to share a story of betrayal for you today, a very vulnerable story because it's my story. It's not going to be easy for me to tell it, and it might not be easy for you to listen to it. But before I share with you the lesson that I think God wants us to close out with today, I have to tell it. I have to show you my pain before I hopefully can help you with yours. So in my life journey, I got you to the point of where I got on an airplane and flew to America and found out that my 17-year-old son had stage 4 cancer. Um, we started out in, an, in a hospital in um, Wil around Wilmington, not Wilmington, excuse me. Um, thank you. Wow. Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, but things weren't going there well there. He was deteriorating quite quickly, and so we transferred to um, Duke University Children's Hospital, and they definitely saved his life. 
Um, so I found myself in Durham, North Carolina, where I had um, one supporting church um, that, that financially supported our family that I had met the people in that church twice. I didn't know anyone else in Durham, and it was just my son and I in a hospital for months. Um, during that time, I thought that I was walking through the darkest time in my life, um, watching my son sick, watching his hair fall out, watching chemo treatment after chemo treatment, um, sleeping in a hospital. Just my number one goal day and night was his happiness and keeping him alive. Um, and we got through to that summer, last summer, a year ago, and he got out of the hospital. He had his last scan, and he was declared in remission um, with no evidence of cancer in his body at this point. He won't be considered cured until the three-year mark um, from that. Um, but so far, so good. So we're thanking God for that. Um, and, and on a side note, he is in his first semester of Bible college at West Coast, studying to be a worship leader. So I'm very, very proud of him and all that he's overcome in the last two years. Um, but last summer, when he was still very sick, weakened from the chemo, um, it's like the most amount, because it's the most aggressive cancer, he got the most amount of cancer you can get in a really short amount of time. So they just like hit you, hit you, hit you until you're almost dead and it kills the cancer and then you got to recover. So the recovery period is pretty intense. Um, he faced a lot of neurological um, brain memory um, his heart went into the beginning stages of heart failure. It was just a lot on his body <laughs> trying to recover even after they stopped the chemotherapy. So last summer, after he had recovered for about four weeks, um, my husband brought the other seven children and came to America, and we were finally back together as a family um, for what I thought was a month of family time. And then um, we were going to make some decisions on figuring out how we were going to navigate the rest of his healing and ministries in Africa and all of our children. Um, as soon as my husband got off the airplane, I knew something was really wrong. And I spent the next three months knowing something was wrong. I just couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was. And I was begging God that I was wrong, that my intuition was just off from everything I had just walked through. Um, but in October, so my husband said he wanted me to stay here with all eight children while my son recovered, and he was going to go back to Africa alone and work the ministry. Um, I wasn't in favor of it <laughs> because I was extremely weak at the time, just emotionally. Um, but I also wanted a ministry when it was all said and done, so I did support him in going back. Um, and then in that was in September, and then in October... Um, I was in Durham in a borrowed house with a borrowed vehicle with eight kids, <laughs> and he was in Africa, and he called me and told me that he was in an affair with my best friend. And um, not only is she my, was she my best friend, um, but she was uh, one of our interns. She had moved in with us when she was 20 years of age. Um, she had lived with us for several years. She came back and worked in the ministry with us. She, we built her a house right next to ours. She was absolutely family. I had just, the month before, described my relationship with her to someone, and I said, I love her so much that I would walk in front of a moving vehicle to save her life. 
So in an eight-minute phone conversation, my life came to a complete crashing halt. And I celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary by myself. Well, not by myself. I have all the kids. And he literally walked out of our lives. Um, and I just remember thinking, how can you lose so much in just one moment of time? Because I know I'm an American, and I love America, but South Africa was my home. We had just built a brand new house for our family after living in very difficult arrangements in the years prior to that. I had been in the house two weeks when I left the country with my son sick. Um, I, I lost, thank you, um, I lost my church. I was the pastor's wife. I didn't even get to say goodbye to any of them. Um, I lost all the people that I loved. I lost my foster children that I had had in my home for five years. <laughs> Just could go on and on. Um, and all I had left was my children, but at the time that just felt like a lot of responsibility. I thought in March when he got sick that I had faced the darkest thing I could walk through, and I had shouted the praises of God from the rooftops. And I meant it. I was not feeling the praises of God in October. And my pastor came over after just walking through cancer with me. And, and we were standing outside. My children didn't even know. And so we were talking privately. And my husband was still in Africa with her. And, and he um, he's... He said to me, he said, Selena, look around. You, you have a, at least a place to stay in a car. And, you know, God, God saw that this was coming, and he took care of you. And I just looked at him, and I was like, that is no comfort. <laughs> because if my God could see that this was coming, why didn't he stop it? And that, I sat on that for a long time. If God can see that something so awful is going to happen, why didn't he stop it? And um, I wrestled hard, hard with that. And all I can tell you after walking through this year, yes, he's still gone. Yes, he's still with her. Yes, I still have all the children by myself. Um, my God is as good as he ever was. that if I woke up tomorrow and lost more than I've already lost, he would still be so good. And someone said to me earlier, and I hadn't shared this part, and she said, you're scaring me because I don't want to go through any of that. And I'm like, I get it. I wouldn't either. I don't, okay? But... God gives you the grace when you need it, not before. And I didn't have the grace to walk through this year before this year. And it's okay to be a little afraid that God might ask something big of you. I get it. 
But after wrestling with God, between October and January, I sat every single day with my Bible open every single morning, sometimes for an hour or two, and I heard absolutely nothing. (laughs) I'm not blaming God. It could have been me. I couldn't hear him. I just kept sitting there like, God, I need you to show up. Where are you? And it took, in December, I flew back to South Africa with my pastor's wife, and in five days I packed up a lifetime. My children had come to America with a carry-on, one pair of shoes, and a couple outfits. Everything we owned was in Africa, and he left it all there. So in five days I emptied a 3,000-square-foot house and donated most of it because I just couldn't get it back here. And... um, cried like I've never cried before in my life. And I got back to America, and I I just said, God, I just can't, I just don't know where you are. I just can't feel you anymore, and I need you so desperately. And I'll never forget the morning that he showed up again. Now, don't blame God, because I'm sure he was there the whole time, but I couldn't hear him over my grief. But the morning that he showed up again, it was as vivid as anything I've ever seen in my life. He just whispered, I've been sitting right here holding you this whole time. And suddenly I realized that it's not the valley that we learn. It's just his presence. It's just him being with us. That's where we draw our strength from. And so, in closing, I'm going to share with you some lessons that I've learned about betrayal. I hate, I know, I know, you're feeling as shocked as I felt, <laughs> but but I believe that it can help you in the way that it helped me, and I'll tell you what I finally learned about my God. You know, my pastor said, God saw that this was coming, so he made a way for you, and I kind of mocked him, honestly, but as the months have passed, as I've woken up to being able to see the hand of God again, I'm able to thank him. Because while he cannot stop sin, and he does not stop sin, and and the two people that claim to love me most in the world had the ability to not sin, God gave them a way out. They didn't choose it. But God did see it was coming, and he made it as gentle on me as possible. And I know you might not believe that, because it's a little shocking of a story. But I'm telling you that my God has made it as gentle on me as possible. And the one thing that I have begged God every day for the last 18 months, please do not waste my pain. If I have to walk through this, dear God, please let it help somebody else. Because otherwise it's just pointless pain. And so today I'm going to share my heart with you on just a few lessons on how God is my truth, even when people betray me. All right, we're going to look at Genesis 37. My tablet will stay on, which it's not wanting to. I'm going to have to do this by memory. I don't know why we're not staying on, guys. We could read all day long Joseph's story. I'm going to assume that most of you know it. And so I'm just going to tell you most of the story and just draw from a couple of verses. But Joseph 
Wow, talk about somebody who faced betrayal. I never really thought about it as betrayal. I just thought of it as trials when I used to think of his life. But now that I've experienced some betrayal, and and I I like to define betrayal differently than, than hurt as people that are supposed to love you that hurt you. And and that's a different category of hurt. Um, It's different when you're hurt by people that you love or they love you than it is by an enemy, right? It's just a different level. And so we're talking in Joseph's life about that kind of hurt. Um, And so number one, Joseph was betrayed by his family, his boss, and his friends. Are there any other categories? (laughs) So I'm sure you can put yourself in one of those categories. So first, his family, Genesis 37.3. Now Israel, that's his dad, loved Joseph more than all his other children. That's, that's parenting 101 fail. <laughs> because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And we know what happened then. His brothers got jealous and angry, and they schemed, and they decided they were just going to kill him. We got talking about dysfunctional families. <laughs> okay. So Joseph starts out his life as a young teenager being betrayed by literally all the people that are supposed to love him, his his brothers, his family. And then he gets sent to Egypt, and it seems like God's doing something good in his life, and he gets a job, and he gets promoted, and he's respected, and he's probably feeling pretty good about his life, until Potiphar's wife becomes the little brat that she is and gets him in trouble. And you know what? Potiphar's wife tattling on him, I don't think that hurt as much. Look at Genesis 38. Let's see. Nope, that's not it. don't know why I have Genesis 38. I'm going to assume I meant Genesis uh, 39. Then we're just going to... Yeah, Genesis 39, verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. He was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him an overseer of his house. So I don't think the betrayal so much was Potiphar's wife as it was Potiphar. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. I think the betrayal here was his master. It was Potiphar. Potiphar respected him, maybe loved him as a, as a, a friend, because he elevated him in his house to a position of great leadership. A servant just didn't get that kind of freedom in the master's house without them having a close relationship. And then Potiphar believed his wife over Joseph, and I bet Joseph sat in the in the prison that night and thought, I thought he loved me. I thought he cared about me. And maybe you've faced betrayal at the hands of a family member, perhaps sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse from, from a spouse, from a parent, um, sometimes even from a, a child or an older older child, um, someone in your family turning their back on you, talking about you, stirring up trouble. If I asked for a raise of hands, I'm pretty sure it'd be all of us. Um, but if not a family member, if you're blessed to have like a literally perfect family, um, then probably a boss or a coworker, someone in that realm has talked about you, has turned their back on you, has broken your trust. But then it didn't stop there. Not only was he in a pit because his brothers betrayed him, and then he was in the prison because his boss betrayed him. Then 
his friends in prison betray him. So he works hard again. He does all the right things. He has good character. And we look at Genesis chapter 40 and verse 14. And it says, and this is one of his friends in the prison who he's just interpreted his dream. But think on me. Don't forget about me here in prison when you go back to the palace, please. Think on me when it shall be well with thee. And show kindness, I pray thee unto me. And, and just will you make mention of me to Pharaoh? Because like I've been here a long time and I'm not supposed to be here. And of course, does his friend tell Pharaoh? No. So here's Joseph, multiple different levels of betrayal in his life. Broken trust. Betrayal will come when you least expect it and at the hands of those who claim to love you. That's what makes it betrayal, by the way. They're supposed to love you. So what are we going to do? Are we going to wallow in the pit and wallow in the prison and wallow that nobody's caring about us? Number two, God will be your truth when people lie about you. If you haven't been betrayed, I can almost bet you've been lied about, right? You found out somebody gossiped about you. You found out somebody believes something about you that's not true. Doesn't that hurt? I mean, don't you just want to be like, um, okay, I'm going to get on social media and defend myself right now. <laughs> I'm going to set the record straight. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to do that this year, quite honestly. <laughs> um, it's been tempting. My pastor's held me back <laughs> from saying anything. But, but it, is, it is tempting to want to right the wrongs. And you know what you have to cling to? Point two, God will be your truth when people lie about you. Joseph's brothers lied about him to his father. They went home and said Joseph was what? Dead. I mean, it's bad enough they tried to kill him, then they lied about him. And the father believed it, and the father mourned. I mean, can you imagine watching your father mourn the loss of your brother and not stopping a lie? I can't. I just don't see how people hurt people like that, but some people do. People who are supposed to love you sometimes will lie about you, and it will hurt. But number three, God was with Joseph, and God is with you. In Genesis 39, verse 2, And the Lord was with Joseph. Do you know what we have that the world doesn't have? That right there. You know, the world, they face betrayal. They face loss, they face hurt, they face lies, they face gossip, they face relational issues, they face divorce, they face broken homes, they face prodigal sons and daughters, right? But you know what they don't have, that you have? The Lord was with Joseph. It's powerful. Perhaps just knowing God more intimately is the greatest gift in pain. Listen to that again. Perhaps just knowing God more intimately is the greatest gift from pain. Number four. This is a hard one, ladies. I hope this is what you get out of this session. Forgiveness frees you from hatred. Forgiveness frees you from hatred. Genesis 45, verse 4. We don't have time because I am trying to speed this one up. We don't have time to tell the whole story of Joseph. I'm hoping that you know it well enough. 
But in Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph, so he's been gotten, he's been released from prison. He's working now as second in command of Pharaoh, God's blessing again, so it seems. And he's probably sort of forgotten a lot about the hurt and betrayal he faced in his life. He's married, he's got a couple of kids, he's got money, he's comfortable, and who shows up? His past. <laughs> and here's the thing about forgiveness and feelings of non-forgiveness, they creep up when you're not expecting it and you hurt all over again. And sometimes something happens when you're 5 or 8 or 10 or 12 and you think, I am so over that. And then something else happens in your life when you're like 40-something and your husband walks out and you go, oh, I'm a little girl again. Am I? It's, please tell me I'm not the only one that goes back and relives that trauma, right? And you think, I thought I was over that. Well, here's Joseph, and he's like, here's his brother showing up, and he's like, oh, I thought I was done dealing with this. Why are you here? Why are you back in my life? Now, we know Joseph is going to take them through a series of events, and he's going to forgive them. But I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness, because sometimes forgiveness is when someone is repentant. And they come to you and they say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And we know what, what is the biblical command for us to do, to forgive them. What do you do when they're not sorry? Okay. Is that easy to do? I'm glad you said no because I've been struggling. <laughs> it's not. And so then the question comes, is the forgiveness for the other person or is the forgiveness for me? Okay, so here's, here's what I want you to picture. Jesus gets approached, and he gets asked, how many times should I forgive? 70 times 7, that's 490 times. And I always thought to myself, if somebody wrongs me 490 times, I'm probably not going to forgive them past like 300. That's probably my limit. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I mean, I started doing that math a long time ago. Like, why would Jesus say 490 times? That's a lot, a lot of times for somebody to keep wronging me say they're sorry, and me say I forgive them. You know what? I don't think that's what he was talking about at all. I think it's very possible that Jesus was talking about when someone's not repentant. And you know what? This morning, you thought of it, and you got to forgive them. And tomorrow, when you wake up, you think about it, and you're hurt again, and you have to forgive them. And next week, when pastor's preaching and something triggers you about that hurt from way long ago, and there it is in your brain again, you're like, I already dealt with this, you got to forgive him again. And next week, and next month, and next year, 490 times only, probably that's not the actual limit. And I learned that forgiveness is about me letting go of my anger and my bitterness and my frustration every single time it enters my mind. It's life-changing. It's very powerful. Because we as women, you know what we like to do? Because we are like verbal communicators. We like to like mull it around a bit. <laughs> Sit there and feel sorry for ourselves for a little while longer. Maybe call a friend or a sister or maybe sit and commiserate again and again and again about the hurt that someone's done to us that isn't fair. And sometimes, I'm sorry, sometimes it just isn't fair. <laughs> Sometimes it's legit. Your, you know, your, your complaint is legit. Like It's just not fair, and it hurts. Well, you could spend the rest of your life doing that, or you could decide, I'm going to forgive every single time it comes into my mind. I'm just going to let it go. 
Does that change them? No. But am I responsible for them? No. And am I going to stand before a holy God and answer for other people's behavior? No. But I am going to stand before a holy God and answer for my heart's response to someone else's hurt. And it's powerful if you tell yourself and you commit to every single time I think about it, I'm going to let it go. So number four, forgiveness frees you from hatred. And I walked away again. (sighs) Hold on. Number five, and lastly, God will use your loss for gain. Now, in Joseph's life, it's amazing. It's like one of the biggest stories of redemption we've ever seen. Joseph, in his lifetime, got to see how God used his loss for gain. Sometimes we don't get that. Like, we don't get to, like, save a nation after we've been through pain. It just doesn't always happen. Sorry. <laughs> I kind of, you know, but anyway, I'd like to. <laughs> um, so sometimes you'll see it in your lifetime, and sometimes you won't. But in Joseph's story, we do get to see it. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty encouraging. I have to find it because I actually, there we go. When Joseph's father dies, his brothers are worried that now that the dad's gone, he's, his true colors are going to come out and he's going to like get rid of them. And his brother, brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Like, don't kill us now that dad's dead, and you remember all the things we've done to you. And uh, Genesis 50, verse 19, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Well, I mean, it's the best story of redemption. Joseph gets to save the entire nation of Israel and Egypt, all because he faced a lot of betrayal and God rewarded him with that amazing ability to see the good. But God does still promise for each one of us that he's going to use our loss for gain. On January 1st, all of a sudden I just got swarmed by flies. There's like three of them up here, guys. On January 1st, this last year, I wrote in my journal the following, and then put it on into a blog post. I turned the page in my journal this morning and thought to myself, really? On New Year's Eve? Surely, surely not this verse today. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. This year has been one of so much loss for me. I can't and won't elaborate more than that, but as I journaled this morning, my list of losses was long, detailed, and specific. I sat there on January 1st, and I literally wrote out everything that I had lost in the year before, from my son's health to my home to my puppy to my church ladies. I just listed every single thing that I was missing. It was detailed, it was specific, and it was painful. And just about everything I would have listed on my list of gains for 2021 is now on my list of losses for 2022. And I sat there and pondered over and over again these verses on one side of the page and my extensive list of losses on the other side until finally it hit me. 
that I may win Christ. And I picked up my pen again and added a new category, gains, Jesus. It's literally the only word I had on that side. I will not be super spiritual and say that I understand what God is doing when life is painful and destructive and your list of losses keeps growing and you just want the pain to stop. Please, God, just make it stop. No, I don't understand it, but as I sit here at the end of 2022 with a list of losses I never would have chosen, I know this with certainty. My short, singular list of gains is more than enough because Jesus is all that matters. He will hold me fast. He will bring beauty from the pain. He will restore and redeem and work all things for my good and his glory because he is God and he keeps his promises. My friends, God cannot fail you. People can. People will. In your lifetime, you will face hurt, relational issues, betrayal, abuse. But God cannot fail you. It's not in his nature to betray you. And you can trust him fully. He will not hurt you or break that trust. So let's close with five practical truths from God to comfort and strengthen you with today. Five practical truths from God. Here we go. Number one, God will use your greatest pain to be someone else's greatest strength. Did you hear that? God will use your greatest pain, whatever it is, whatever comes to mind right now, God's going to use that as someone else's greatest strength. Number two, it is your choice to become bitter or better from your pain. Nobody else can make that choice for you, ladies. It's your choice. I choose to see the beauty of God. <laughs> I am not saying that's easy. I'm saying it's a choice that I'm making every single day. Number three, okay, number one was God will use your greatest pain to be someone else's greatest strength. Number two, it is your choice to become bitter or better from your pain. Your choice. Number three, nowhere does God promise protection from pain, but he does promise his presence in it. Listen again, nowhere does God promise his protection from pain, but he does promise his presence in it. Number four, it is easier to forgive an enemy than to forgive a friend, but forgiveness frees you. It is easier to forgive an enemy than to forgive a friend, but forgiveness frees you. And number five, and the best thing, you only have to face today because there will be brand new mercies again tomorrow morning. And to the sweet, sweet mama that came to me and said, you're scaring me. My kids are little and I don't want anything bad to happen. And I totally, completely understand why what I've said the last two days might scare her a little bit. Um, here's what I've learned. I cannot fix, I'll give you five in just a second. I cannot fix the past. I also can't get rid of this fly. <laughs> I cannot fix the past, and I don't have to worry about the future. I just have to face today. Because I know that I know that I know that tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to have new mercies to face tomorrow. And you will too. And I know if you're like me, you're tempted to meditate on the past or worry about the future but I would encourage you to just embrace today, live for God today, serve your family today, 
Do the best you can today and know that he will give you brand new mercies tomorrow morning. Number five was you only have to face today because there will be brand new mercies available again tomorrow morning. Now, I'm done. I apologize for the depth of some of the things that I've shared. But if I had gotten up here and shared with you all of these points without sharing any of my life with you, you'd have been like I was when I was in the hospital and my son had cancer. People would send me books, lots of them. (laughs) And literally what I would do, this is really bad, but I would flip the book over and read the biography of the author. And I'd be like, what has she faced? Anxiety? She faced anxiety and she's going to tell me how to get through cancer. No, I'm not reading that book. That's a waste of my brain cells. And I'm like, this one, oh, her son died. Okay, I can learn from her. I kid you not, that's where my brain went. If you haven't faced what I've gone through or something worse, you aren't going to be able to help me because I was so desperate for real help. And in sharing my heart with you today, I'm hoping that I've faced something that resonates with you that you can take away from it and say, she knows what she's talking about. Because when I look at you and tell you that God is good and there is beauty in every day, I mean it and you know it. And we're going to close by singing about the goodness of God. And I hope that you're able to just meditate on all the things that Melanie and Ashley and myself have shared with you and that you're able to see the goodness of God in your life and leave here praising him for all that he's done for you specifically. Will you stand with me and sing it with me? I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing it, ladies. Cause all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire, and in darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of God. Because all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after, running after me Your goodness 
life laid down, I'm surrendered now, I give you everything, your goodness is running after, running after me, your goodness is running after, running after me, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Sing it, ladies. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God.